So finally, we're all in agreement about what's going on with... Partick Thistle. Millhouse. <clears throat> okay, here's what we've got. The Rand Corporation, in conjunction with the Saucer People. Thank you. Under the supervision of the Reverse Vampires. <sighs> are forcing... Partick Thistle to go card only. In a fiendish plot to eliminate... Cash from our society. We're through the looking glass here, people. Welcome to Draw, Lose or Draw, a weekly podcast covering all things Partick Thistle. Joining me this week to look back on our 3-0 success at home tomorrow at the weekend is Rhys Haldane. Rhys, how are you? I am over the moon. It was great to bounce back in the way we did, and I, I know we would, mate. The 3-0 prediction came to fruition, and happy days. Our broth is just a distant memory now. A great call last week with your, your score prediction. Jamie McDonald's here. Jamie, how are you? Yeah, brilliant. Obviously, similar to what Reese said, fantastic game. Couldn't ask for much more. We look brilliant and yeah, good stuff. And David Forrest is here. David, are you well? I'm great. Yep, fantastic. As always, we'll just have a look at our, our starting 11 from the weekend to start with. As we discussed on the podcast last week, Ian McCall had a big decision to make in goals. He went with Jamie Snedden. We'll come on to that. Shea Gordon came into the side at right-back with Kieran McKenna and Lewis Mayo missing. Uh, Tunji Akinola came into the middle of the defence and partnered Kevin Holt. Ross Dockett returned to the side as well, which meant Kyle Turner played in a slightly wider role with Ross McKeever dropping out. So, David, I'll come to you first. What did you make of the, the 11 on Saturday? Um, yes, I think we looked at the lineup. I think there was a few heads being scratched, particularly the Shea Gordon at right-back um, sort of thing where it was very much a square peg in a round hole. I think for a lot of us when we saw the lineup, um, but it was good to see Doherty back and obviously the likes of Turner on that there. And again, we'd we'd wanted Akinola and centre back, and whether that was intended or whether it was forced because of you know the injuries that we have at the moment, um, it was good to see. Yeah, I don't think anyone could have predicted it. Uh, the sort of how how good Gordon would have been at right back. I think everyone was a bit worried, and I, I don't think it was necessarily um, borne out or, or or worries there. Yep, I think Gordon deserves a lot of credit. I think Reese has mentioned on the podcast before he did play right back for a bit in his sort of younger days at Motherwell. We've not seen it too much for Thistle. I think he's played maybe right wing back a couple of times, but I thought uh, he, he had an excellent game of it. Reese, I'll come to you. I know we're going to talk about the defence later on, but Akinola came in at centre back next to Holt. Were you happy? Were you happy with that? I know we were sort of short on options. Yeah, I um, I was pretty happy to see that because. It's obviously came with a lot of high praise from down south and you don't spend, what was it, 10 years or whatever uh, in West Ham's academy if you're not a good player. He's obviously got a, a good a good build about him. He's a tall tall boy and he's, he's good with the ball at his feet. So I was looking forward to seeing him and he lived up to the expectations. I thought he was outstanding at the weekend. I thought the whole back four were really, really good. I know Foster came in for criticism as well, but he stepped up to the plate. 
and Kevin Holt, what an acquisition he's been, especially when you sign him as a left back and he's slotted at centre half seamlessly and turned into a bit of a goal machine. But yeah, I can all I was brilliant and I hope to see more of him at centre half. And the funny thing is, our two best centre halves, in my opinion anyway, Brownlee and Mayo weren't even in the squad, and it just goes to show like the squad depth that we've had. I know we're just touching on Shea Gordon as well. Like there was a, there was no no failures in that uh, lineup at the weekend. Every man was brilliant. So yeah, very happy days. Jamie, do you share Reese's uh, wholehearted positivity about the performance on Saturday? I know we were speaking off air about how poor Morton might have been, but how good were Thistle? I thought we were excellent. Yeah, yeah, I agree with Reese. I don't think there's any failures throughout that team. Going from the back, I mean, Sneddon barely had anything to do all day. I mean, I think only save I really remember him making was that one when I think it was cut across to face the goal about five minutes ago and it was going to hit straight down the face at him and he got down to it, landing on it well. And I will talk about it more, but the back four were fantastic. They didn't let anything pass them. The midfield controlled the game well. Their distribution was good. Tiffany and Turner caused Morton no end of problems. The creativity from those two is fantastic, especially Tess Turner Pace. They could not deal with that. He was causing their fullback no end of problems all day. And Brian Graham and Zach Rodden, both of them were so lively, so active all day. Rodden once again doing some of the dirty work, getting, you know, dropping into the midfield, getting out wide. I linked up the play well. Him and Graham both getting a goal. Not much more you can ask for. It was a fantastic performance. I thought the subs who came on did well. They caused a few problems, you know, we can see the pace from Hasty, and we'll talk about that a bit more later, and Cammy Smith, lively as ever, so, yeah, there's nothing to complain about, it's a fantastic performance, and, oh yeah, Conor Murray as well, I thought he did well when he came on, so, yeah, I, honestly, nothing to grumble about whatsoever. I know we touched on this last week, and I don't want to go too in-depth about it, because he didn't have much to do at the weekend, but you and Donahue's got in touch just to ask, do we see Snedden staying as the long-term number one now? Um, David, your thoughts on that, just quickly? So, so Stone is away in Turkey and I assume that he won't be playing on Saturday because he's away with Scotland. Uh, for, but I think they're back by then, but I think they will just like uh, Snedden will get the game against Stranra. I think uh, it, it's a bit difficult. I, I, th- I think uh, Snedden done barely anything all game and it wasn't his own fault, but he did make a couple of half decent saves. But again, like he was not threatened at all by Martin. So I don't know if we can go, oh, that was a. That was a shirt-winning performance by Snedden. I mean, kept a clean sheet, but a lot of it was down to the defence as well. It wasn't necessarily that Snedden had the most amazing game. I, I, I I'll think, obviously, Snedden will be in against Shinra. My Short of any sort of Arbro-style horror for Snedden, I could see him getting the next game in the league. And then that would be the big one. But the two league games we have come up are so huge that McCall really needs to get it right. And, and, and to be fair, I think either either keeper is very capable, but I think McCall will really pour over it, and I would not be surprised if Snedden is dropped, but I wouldn't be surprised if he stayed as well. That's the most non-committal answer you'll ever hear on this podcast, but I don't know. It's the easy answer. Well, for me, I'll stick up for Snedden a bit here. For me, you said he didn't have much to do, but to be fair, Stone, one of Stone's errors was purely his own error rather than something that like it was an unforced error Snedden didn't have any unforced errors you know his distribution was good everything he had to do even though it was a minimum amount of work he did comfortably no hassle and the, the defence looked really comfortable with him behind him and I think he's he's earned we're at the stage now he's earned 
a run. And I said last week till Christmas, whether it's Christmas, whether it's 10 games, however long, I think he's definitely earned a run in the side where he knows he can play with without pressure as much as he can play without pressure at professional football. And I think, personally, I would like to see Sneddon get a run of games, at least 10 till Christmas, something like that. I would certainly say, like, because the next two games are Kelly and Inverness, who are kind of making themselves out to be our, our rivals to the title early on, I think you need to have the same keeper for both of those games. You cannot chop and change that. So, yeah, I think you're more likely to get Snedden than you are Stone in there. Um, and I think it's just a bit unfortunate timing for Stone that he's had this error. Then we've got this game, and you know he's away in international duty as well, where you could see Snedden just taking it. I think for me as well, though, even if Stone was available the weekend, and we'll go on to what changes we want to see for Stranra later on, but I'd, I'd want to see as consistent a lineup as possible, I think, and that, that would include Snedden just to get his confidence up and that relationship with the defence that looked pretty good on, on Saturday. Rhys, you've mentioned Akinola, you've mentioned Gordon and, and Holt, but just quickly mentioned them earlier. Do you want to go into a bit more depth about the defence's performance at the weekend? How comfortable were they? Yeah, well, as you've mentioned, they didn't have a whole lot to do. Snedden really didn't have a whole lot to do. And that, in part, is down to the solidity of the defence. They didn't let anything bind them at the weekend. Shea Gordon stood up well to every every man that tried to beat him. Nobody really got past him, to be fair, at much. Um, and Foster bounced back. He was impressive at the weekend, uh, especially going forward. He looked like, a, like the Richard Foster of old, or the League One Foster at the end, tail end of last season. And Kevin Holt, as I've mentioned, just he's been an absolute revelation at centre half. Like, and it seems like he's he's proper bought into like the whole fissile, the fissile mentality that we have. Like the style. Um, you've seen his interview at the end, and he's certain come on the fissile and all that. Like, fans love that stuff. Do you know what I mean? So, I'm, ha- I'm happy for him, and he's a real aerial threat. And same way, Tun Jack and all, he's an aerial threat. He won all of his aerial drills at the weekend, um, which a lot of people are saying he's he's not the best in there. In fact, I noticed once where he got beat and that's it. But he did look a, a bit of a monster at the back. I was pleased with the whole back four. And I think they just, they've got that bit more security about them as well with Doc sitting just in front of them. I never really felt threatened by Morton. I said that at the um, last week as well. Morton just never have like a player that I worry about. Like, oh, he'll, he'll do his damage. So I wasn't threatened by Morton. And I think that that showed how strong the defence were. Absolutely. I've had some doubts about Kevin Holt, but I think they were all... I, I was proven wrong. I thought he was excellent on Saturday and I, I feel like he is making that centre-back slot his own. I know David said that Snedden didn't do it and to keep the shot. Holt has definitely done enough to keep the shot and convince me that he's he's good enough to play there going forwards. As you said, Rhys Akinola was brown. I'm still a wee bit concerned about Foster. I think he had a, a really good game on Saturday, but as we've mentioned not under a huge amount of pressure. So I think if we were to strengthen, and I'll come on to ask you about that as well, where do we need to strengthen? Or maybe like a left-footed defender, because I think all of the defenders we have available at the moment, out with Kevin Holt, who's playing in the middle, are right-footed. So it would be good to have a left-footed option going forward. Sorry, I was going to say, I just wanted to give a mention to Foster for his... I don't know if it counts as an assist, but certainly he was the one who... Um, instigated uh, the the move with that pass down the the left hand side for the second goal. I mean the goal is just it's one of those goals that you 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 score when you're on top it is quite audacious. I think we were quite audacious 
quite a lot of the time because we knew we could get away with it because Morton weren't threatening us. But that second goal it was a real piece of class. Like it, I just thought it was so good. And the, and the pass from Foster was amazing as well. It was a real good goal, David. It was like quality in every every moment. And if we are sort of looking to define McCall ball, and we have done for a, a few months now, and I think if in two or three, four years, whenever McCall steps down, we'll look back and go, um, what was McCall ball? Goals like that, I think we want, um, we want more of. Jamie, I want to ask you a question. I think I asked you a few weeks ago after the Dunfermline game, have we turned a corner with set pieces because we scored two um, at Dunfermline with Kyle Turner deliveries? I think you said it's a bit early to say, but it is, it's looking good. What about now, after another two from Turner deliveries at the weekend? Are we a good set-piece team now? Yes, uh, I'd say now. I said it on Twitter after the game that I think Turner is the best corner taker we've had since Higgy. I know we scored some corners in the top six season. Uh, I think it was mainly thanks to Lindsay rising above players so easily and attacking the ball really well, and not so much down in the delivery. We used to score more corners back when we had Higgy, players like Balatoni, Lee Mayer, or not just corners, but set pieces in general, and Taylor Sinclair, Lyle Taylor, etc. thanks to Higgy's quality delivery back between like 2013 and 2015. But now I think we've got that kind of thing back with Kyle Turner. He just His delivery has been fantastic so far. Four corners in the league we've scored. I mean, <laughs> the last time we were in the Championship, I don't, did we even score four corners all season? I don't think so. I mean, we might have, but I, I don't remember that. I don't remember the last time we did score four corners in a season. Maybe the year we came down from the Premiership. I really don't know. But look, we do look like we have turned a set-piece corner. I think maybe Stephen Anderson was the last time we had a player who scored from set-pieces an OK amount. But it just it is fantastic that we have someone like Kyle Turner who's got that technical ability. He's fantastic in open plays, fantastic in dead ball situations. And yeah, I just want to see more of him. want to see more of his great deliveries and we're a real threat from set pieces. I'm sure teams will wise up to it a little bit if they're noticing we are scoring a lot of corners. They'll probably try, I don't know, man mark certain players a lot more, like Graham and Holt, because obviously they're a danger from that kind of situation. But I'm sure Turner will be in training with McCall and the, the other training team when trying to find different ways for him to get it to the men in the box. And it really looks like it's coming off. And it's, it's just so satisfying after years of having tall players but not getting goals from corners we've finally got someone who's delivering it in and we're scoring them on the sort of corners things I think I noticed certainly for the first goal I think Michael Max points it in commentary we absolutely packed the box I think it's like seven or eight players in the box that were all all threats if you know what I mean like where you could kind of see with Turner it felt like he could just pick a player and ping it onto their head and they didn't know which one it was and it was causing a bit of confusion I think before we like corners and stuff, we, we didn't really feel that much of a threat, but it really feels like we pack the box and make it hard for the fences and they really, really have to work to stop it. And with Kyle Turner being so good at it, putting them onto people's heads, it's it's a great thing to have, just having, having a set-piece guy who can get them in because not, like, not that many teams score from corners that much. Like it's, I think if you watch a game... It's 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 quite unlikely that they will score from corners, even though there is always that optimism when you get one. But I think we are scoring quite regularly from them now, and we're definitely a danger there. And it's it's again, it's part of the attack in football where we are pressing them, even in sort of dead ball set piece situations. We are pressing the team and making them absolutely work 110 percent to try and stop us, and it's it's really great to see. I think it, you're right about the the percentage of goals that come from 
from a corner is is it is really low. It's like it's it's either two or four percent, I think, of corners result in a goal, which is which is really really low when you think of how many corners you get a game. But uh, I agree with David what you said about packing the box, and I'm not even sure it's the fact Turner's picking out a man. But you mentioned like how many tall players we've got and how many threats we've got. We've seen Graham Holt score at the weekend. Doherty popped up at Dunfermline. We've got so many options that Turner only needs to put it in an, an area and three or four people will attack it. Whereas previously we maybe had, like Jamie's mentioned, Stephen Anderson, Liam Lindsay, and the corner had to go to their head or they had to get free from a marker. But now we've got so many threats that we've never been in that position since I've been watching Thistle. I don't think such a such a threatening team from set pieces. Uh, it's great to see it's an... When you're not playing well in games, that's how teams that go for leagues can grind out results when they're not playing well. It's such an important tool to have. Earlier, David caught up with Ian McLean of the Galloway Gazette about Stranraer ahead of our Challenge Cup tie at Stair Park on Saturday. It's 53 on Saturday, my programme's in my hands With my scarf for red and yellow in the Jackie husband stand the Burhill fans go crazy when onto the pitch they run. The Thistle team will do its best and so sings everyone. Thistle do, Thistle do. The only team in Glasgow for the likes of me and you. Thistle do, Thistle do. Let's have some more, just watch a score, cause that's what Thistle do. Now I'm joined by uh, Ian McLean of the Galloway Gazette. Um, Ian, thanks for joining us. Um, uh-huh. We are here to preview a Saturday's game against Stranraer um, in a Challenge Cup. Um, so Ian, Stranraer have not went off to the best start. Um, bottom of League Two. Um, how do you assess their season so far? Uh, it's, it's been difficult. They obviously lost Stephen Farrell during the summer. Unless we joined the bar, so Jamie Fa- Jamie Hamill was in the job, and it's his first managerial job, which you'd imagine we'd try in the best of times. But given the circumstances with COVID and having to overhaul the squad, it's, it's probably not surprising that it's taken a wee bit of ground, bit of time rather to, to hit the ground running. Um, but past couple of games, they got a, a point in fourth, and then they got the first win. It could be despite some fairly extensive personnel problems. Um, so that will give them a lift. But the consequence is long, which is a sense it's a, it's a short enough for them because they're not really expected to do anything. So if they get through this round of the conference, bonus, if not, then it's a priority for them. Yeah, I suppose it's going to be get a, a half decent turnout at, at Stair Park with official fans turning up. You get through it's a bonus, but um, I don't think the Challenge Cup is going to be too high in the priority list for Stranra. Is there any players you think that Fistle should be looking out for? It's, it's, it's a quite difficult to say because um, there's been such an overhaul in, in the squad that everybody's still kind of bedding in and then you've got players not available uh, for COVID and injury and that kind of thing. So there's nobody really that's kind of standing out in the world. Grant Gallagher's probably the one. He was... Uh, Captain, but he plays Jamie Hamill, obviously, because he became the manager. Um, and he's the one, he used to start off like Celtic, and he's been with the Embry and Barton, and he's the one that's kind of trying to get things together in the middle of the park. So he's probably the, the, the biggest influence. Um, Matthew Yates up front, 
uh, came through the, the ranks of Rangers, um, and I spell with Hibs as well. He's had a couple of injuries as well. Um, but if he's playing, he's maybe one to, to look out for. But it really just depends. It's hard to identify people because you don't know who's going to be available for sure now. The fifth choice keeper last week, uh, Jamie Howell in the edge, and Darren Duffy's assistant was playing and scored, so it's, it's really hard to see what kind of team he's going to put out Saturday. Obviously, you mentioned to me just uh, just before that you have from time to time um, kept an eye on Fistle and covered them in various reports. Have you have you had much of an impression of Fistle this season? How do you think that they're doing? Um, they've started well. Um, they've always like a, a point to prove um, with, with their season out. So they've started well. Even course, a decent manager has been, been bent to course before, so you know it's what's required. And I would, I would expect they certainly more likely to stay up at the top end of the table than kind of drop back down to the, the lower reaches. Um, championships very, very difficult to predict, but most. Things are going to be difficult to predict with the effects of COVID and injuries and, and all sorts of stuff. So, um, but I, I would expect them to be patient certainly for a playoff place. And um, Stranra, how do you think that they'll do um, over the season? I think they will pick up. Um, they had a decent season last season and um, just missed out on promotion. They lost the playoffs to uh, Dumbarton. Um, I think I, I think they will pull away from the foot. On the table, but whether there's left himself too much ground to make up in terms of getting into the promotion playoffs, uh, possible. Uh, but I, th- I think once the players knit together, um, I think they will start to, to push up the league. Obviously, the Stranraer games have moved to a one o'clock kickoff, and a word of warning for any Thistle fans getting the train: uh, you will need to run because the train is at three o'clock, <laughs> and it's a four-hour wait afterwards. So. For all those Thistle fans that inevitably get stranded, is there anything you can suggest that they do in the four hours that they're in Stranraer waiting to get back? I've been there before, go back to Glasgow and you know, you've got a lengthy wait time up and then uh, the, the last change can have three or four hours later. Um, but a bit longer weather, but nice, it's feeling nice down that neck of the woods at the moment. So we're going to stay for to enjoy some sunshine while we're waiting. Trade. Yeah, and a, a nice wee fish supper or something uh, by yeah, by uh, by the water. So it's, it's, it's a nice part of the world. There are worse places to be stuck for two to three years. And if I could get a score prediction from you, um, I'll go three Well, thank you very much, Ian. Um, it's great to speak to you, and um, no hopefully speak to you speak to you soon. All right, cheers. All right, all right, thank Um, Reese, I want to ask you. Um, we saw Jake Hasty come off the bench for his debut at the weekend. We've seen Cammy Smith come off the bench in recent weeks. Connor Murray got some minutes at the weekend. How pleased are you with the attacking options we've got at the moment? Oh, I'm over the moon. So many times, like we've been struggling in games and not being able to break teams down. And you look to the bench, you look to the bench. Sorry, see who you can bring on. Maybe get yourself a goal. And we just lack creativity. We lack goal-scoring threats. And probably last season, Cardo was the main guy you'd go to for that. 
now our bench is stacked. You've got options galore. You've got guys like Ross McIver, who's like probably fourth choice sub at the weekend. Do you know what I mean? Who last season you bring him on to get yourself a goal. So it's brilliant to have the strength and depth in the the fight, the competition for jerseys. Um, um, I'd love to see Cammy Smith start next week at Stranraer. I, I know you said you don't want to see too many changes and. Neither do I. I'd like to keep it quite similar, uh, but I'd probably like to see Cammy Smith come in for Rudden because obviously Rudden will be away with Scotland 21. So I think that would be a good change to make. Um, I'd also I would have loved to have seen Hasty, but he's cup tied, having scored for Rangers B in the last round. So, but yeah, great options off the bench, a real directness and a real bust of, a bust of pace about both of them. Um, and even Conor Murray, he's up to his game tenfold. Like every time I've seen him this season, he's looked really quite really tricky at points last season. It was like a missing man. I know some of us have called him out over a, a short spell we had. And he, he upped his game for a short spell last season as well. Scored about three or four in as many games. But I'm, I'm happy to see him contributing as well from the bench. Reese, I'll stick with you. Ross Alexander's got in touch to ask what changes we'd like to see for, for the Stranraer game. Uh, what sort of effect is keeping the momentum going to have? And what sort of effect is trying to get minutes in the legs of some of the players like Hastie and Smith, what effect is that going to have on McCall's decision making? As you say, like momentum is massive, so I, I probably would keep it as similar as possible. Uh, Hastie, I would have liked to see him start, but he is cup-tied, so I would just go with Cammy Smith in for Rudden, who's away. Um, try to think else. Obviously, Mayo, he'll be away, so I'd stick with the same back four, probably. I'd probably stick with the same team, to be honest, um, and just keep the consistency going. I wouldn't be surprised to see a few of the young boys, maybe Jai Stevenson or Ben Stanway get get off the bench for their make their debuts. Um, if we're cruising it, because any time we've played Stranraer in the last couple of years, we've won pretty comfortably. Um, that'll be one 0 Stranraer at the weekend. Now that I've said that, but uh, you'd like to think if we're three or four up, a couple of the young boys would get a debut. Uh, this would be the game where you probably see Stephen Bell come in, but uh, he was pictured with a moon boot on at the weekend, so I don't think we'll be seeing him for a while either. So pretty much, I'd keep the same team, bar maybe bring Cammy Smith in for get him a start. Because every time I've seen him, he's looked lively, but not just not given enough time to contribute. So I'd like to see him get a, a full 90. Jamie, what about you? What changes do you want to see on Saturday? Uh, I wouldn't mind. I know it sounds daft when he's just back, but if Doc isn't up to full fitness, I wouldn't mind him dropping to the bench and coming on later in the game. I'd like to see Smith start, same as Reese, but I'd like to see him out for uh, Doc. And I'd like to, obviously, with running away, I'd like to see McIver get a start up front. Instead of him getting shoved out to the wing, it'd be nice to actually see him get a, a get a start as a striker. So just keep it four four two, keep Sned then same back line in the middle. We've got Tiff on the left. With I'd like to see maybe Smith and Banningen, or if if not, them playing alongside each other, a diamond maybe with Banningen as the holding midfielder and uh, Smith up behind the two strikers and Turner sticks stay on the right with McIver and Graham up top. I'd like to see something like that. They'd just give some players an extra minutes. McIver's not really had a chance as a striker this season, so I'd, I'd like to get that opportunity at Stranraer. It's a good game for him to do that. David, as you moaned about last week, you're going to have to get up at a, a stupid time to get the train down to Stranraer. What sort of game are you expecting? Are you expecting a game that Thistle will be comfortable in? Or are you expecting a sort of rough-and-tumble cup game at a tight little ground like Stair Park? Well, I, I will first caveat by saying that I believe Stranraer are bottom of League 2 at the moment, which terrifies me because that just screams banana skin to me. You know, a team that's flying up the top near the championship against the team bottom of League 2. We should ro- we should stroll this. 
and it, it, it never usually works out like that. I'm thinking of things like the Coulter game. There, there, there is the the propensity for a real shock there. In reality, we are doing right. Quite, we are doing quite well at the moment, um, and we have a team that is flowing with confidence. And I feel a game like this, it can would really bring on the confidence. You look at, for example, the Count and Beef game in the Scottish Cup last year, which was a real catalyst for us in terms of we'd had a good game against Airdrie where we'd been behind and came back and won. Then we played Count and Beef, and we we kind of blown them away. And if Rudden gets his first goal, and like you could see. A, his confidence was lifted and then we went on that run and you could argue the Cowden Beef game was really, really pivotal on that. We've got two huge games coming up. Realistically, we should be defeating Shunra quite comfortably. If we play our heavy attacking football, you know, with lots of people in the boxes, several aerial threats, you know, and we play with creativity that we have been playing with and this year audaciousness that we did against Morton. We should be in for a really fun game of football with possibly quite a few goals in there. But I am also acutely aware that we did play, you know, our bro last week and struggled against a team that dug in and made it really hard for us. I don't think being bottom of League Two after four games is such a death knell where you absolutely write them off. There's no reason why they couldn't pull it back and you know get in the mid table or whatever. So I would be a bit wary about going this, you know, this team are shite, we should be destroying them. I, I, I do think it will be a, a fun game. I, I, I do, and I think we will probably beat them, and it will give us a lot of confidence if we can. If we can get three at least, if we can get three goals, I think that will really boon our confidence, and I could see us doing it. I think we proved on Saturday against Morton that we're we're very good against League Two standard teams. I'll come back round you all again for just quickly score <laughs> predictions. David, you've said you can see us getting three. Are you going to? Put your name to that with a score prediction. Uh, I fuck it. I think the last time we went, it was five now. Last so, time we put that, Strenor, yep, you're right. The yeah, last time we put it, Strenor, it was five now. Um, why not? I repeat, five now. Bold, Jamie. Uh, I don't usually predict big scores, but I'll go four now. Four now, festival. Reese, you were correct last week. We are three now. Are you going to stick with three now? Are you going to go any higher, any lower? Um, well, last time we played them at Farhill, it was 4-1. Last time we played them up at their place, it was 5-0. And the, the team we had that night was pretty pretty poor. Jack Storer was playing. Max Melbourne was on the score sheet. So we've improved a lot since then. I'm going to say 5-0 again. Very confident panellists. I'm going to go 2-0. I know Rudden's away on international duty. So his partnership with Graham will be broken up. Wouldn't be a, that surprise if Graham maybe sat one out as well. So McKeever might come in. I'm going to go 2-0 Thistle. Brian Graham to get his first Fissel hat-trick. There you go. I, 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 I think Graham will be well up for this. I think Graham sees that he could put quite a few past Mate, a team like he, this. And he'll seven, be well up for that. He's got seven goals for the season already. He'll be able to get ten by the weekend. Absolutely. Right, if he's playing, he'll be 100% up for it. I just wouldn't be surprised if if he was given given a week, a week off because he has played a lot of football already this season. David spoke to Campbell from the Leading the Line podcast about the Thistle women's team ahead of the SWPL1 campaign.
been joined by Campbell from Leading the Line, a Women's Football Podcast, to discuss the upcoming Women's SWPL season. Um, Campbell, how are you doing today? I'm good, David. Thank you. How are you? Um, not bad. Over the last time we spoke, obviously, we were gearing up for uh, the promotion battle uh, with Hamilton and Dundee United. Um, unfortunately, we fell at the last hurdle with Hamilton taking the promotion place. However, a couple of weeks later, we were... Uh, we found out we'd been promoted anyway due to um, for for Farmington um, dropping out of the league. It's a very much a surprise for for the official team. So, yeah, how 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 did that come about? How what were your thoughts on it? I mean, it was a tough one because obviously we'd spoken before Hamilton United and Thistle were the they were the three teams that had the chance of of joining Aberdeen um, in the top flight, and obviously Aki's were, were fairly comfortable in the end. But Thistle had, had drawn with the United on the last day, which kept them above them into that third place, and it was looking like this season would be kind of a two way fight between those two for for promotion, and then obviously for who had for years have been one of the staples really of women's football, and then have had so many problems with people leaving and. They ended up with no real squad at all. I mean, I saw their, their last game, if you want to call it that, against Dundee United in, in this year's League Cup group stages where United beat them 10-0 and it could have been about three times that. And it was it was a shame because a lot of the Forfa players were, were younger girls that had just been picked up from teams in sort of the Dundee area and then others that had played for Forfa's youth teams that uh, morning before the game. So it was it was tough. And um, in the end, also they, they were going to drop out. But well, the the TV deals and things um, in the top flight. Someone had to take that place and some people might moan up that obviously Hamilton and teams that have worked hard to get there will then be thinking, well, what was the point if a third place is getting up as well? But Thistles, we said, well, they were unlucky and were, were likely going to be one of the teams fighting this season. So putting them up seemed to be a no-brainer really. And I mean, obviously now they've got a chance to go and test themselves against the best sides in Scotland. Definitely. And it's one of those things where they would have been gearing up for an SWPL2 season <laughs> and now they're going into SWPL1 with the best teams in the country. That can be very difficult. Do, do you think that's going to be a disadvantage for Fissel? I mean, it could be, but I think kind of out with your top three, four teams in Scotland, I think the rest of that league should be fairly competitive. I mean, Fissel we've already seen, of course, through the Hearts. We finished them um, that league bottom uh, last season. No relegation. And you see the likes of obviously Motherwell, Hamilton that have come up as well, even Aberdeen. Um, these teams are all going to be competing really well against each other. So I think looking at the squad Thistle had, it was probably around the same level as the bottom half of the top flight anyway. And they've obviously had a couple of new signings as well. So I, I don't think it should be should be too much of a problem for Thistle. And it should be quite an exciting league um, at both the top and the bottom um, this season. But it should be quite competitive, I think. And I, I don't think Thistle will have, will have too much trouble fitting in to SWPL1. I think just to kind of hold themselves there, obviously, like coming up, as you're saying, being the sort of the last minute addition, it's not easy. We've seen it obviously in the men's game where teams have come in kind of late on and just collapsed right enough, but I don't, I don't think this will well. I mean, it's, most of the teams around the bottom are fairly well matched, um, so it should be quite interesting, but we'll see how it goes. Definitely. I remember there was um, a, a famous example, I believe, Airdrie survived relegation. They were going to get relegated, and then I think it was actually when Rangers uh, get put down to the third division. And... Mm-hmm. Um, Everyone was like, oh, great, you're still in the championship. And like, we've spent the last six weeks building only one team and you just mm-hmm. can't hammer the most of the season because yeah, yeah they, they built a team that was absolutely out of their depth. So, yeah, um, it's obviously a bit of a worry, but, um, yeah, I think, I think they'll be all right. 
Dundee got that that season as well because obviously Rangers went down and Dundee the team brought up and it was kind of last minute and I mind mean, we played them at Tannadice in August and it was one of the most one-sided games you'll see where they just looked so out of depth because they've got a championship team there so it is tough but things should be fine One of the, the big things about the SWPL1 is that obviously you've got Rangers and Celtic but it's also that you've got Glasgow City as well how do you think that Fissel are going to fare against the Glasgow rivals Can you do you think it's going to be much like the men's team when we come up against our Glasgow rivals it's, it's a bit more difficult or could you see a team like Fissel pulling off a scalp against one of these teams I mean on the day anything can happen of course we've seen it before but Glasgow City, I mean, obviously have dominated Scottish football for years and you can see why they're the best side there and then Rangers and Celtic with, with the signings they have they've brought in and the changes they've made. These three are that step above. Even Hibs, who've been up there, has been, have been the second team for so many years. They've struggled against them and didn't get many points off these sides last year. So they'll try their best, but I think for all the teams kind of away from those three, they'll go into these games and think, look, we're just gonna, we can play our own game here if we get beat we get beat you're not expecting anything from it it's, they're not the games this are going to be just on this season it's going to be the games against the teams around in the likes of obviously Hearts Mother um, Aberdeen so I, I think though it's, it's not something you look at and think we're going to do well here but you never know on the day it's, it's something that could happen and this I'm sure will give it their best shot but like I say it's, it's not those games that they're going to be judged on one thing I'm looking forward to as well is the TV coverage, um, BBC Alba and BBC Scotland as well, um, of SWPL1. Um, so you'll see Fissel hopefully a bit more on the TV. You know, with the I believe they had a sports scene highlights package last year, and as well as that, there's a record amount of games. Is that correct that they're showing? Yeah, it will be. I have BBC Alba. I think have taken. I think it was twenty was the number. So. Um, and then obviously BBC Scotland as well are kind of putting one onto the the website or on the red button on a Sunday as well. So there should be two two games each week on TV, which would, would be great, obviously. And I think you'll see more official certainly, maybe not this weekend. But you look at I mean Aberdeen have just come up there, obviously the Alba game, um, on Sunday against Celtic, and then Glasgow City Mother was being selected for for online as well. So I'm sure you'll still see plenty of Patrick Thistle this season, and it'll be good for that, of course, because they were they were a good side to watch in SWPL two. And yes, it's a step up, but. I think we'll, we'll definitely be competitive this one. It should be a decent side to watch this season. Just before we go, two questions. A prediction on where you think Fissel will finish this season? <laughs> I think it could be anywhere probably from 6th to 10th. I don't think it will be, as I say, obviously you look at the teams at the top, they're the sides that are, are going to be up there. We know who they will be. Um, at the bottom end, Motherwell Hearts, Hamilton, Patrick Thistle and probably Aberdeen are all going to be fighting with each other to see who can stay up in these places there. But I, I think Thistle should do fairly well. I mean, it won't be easy, of course it won't, but I think um, if they can kind of continue with the form they had, they've kept some players that were, that were really impressive. Claire Dockery obviously was player of the year in SWPL too. She's still there. And um, they've still got plenty of experience as well. So I, I think Thistle could surprise a few and should have enough to, to avoid relegation. And who do you think is going to win the title overall? Um, well, I mean, last year I was saying Rangers quite a lot with the players they brought in, but they seem to collapse any time they come into the big game. So, I mean, it could be anyone, but Glasgow City at the minute are seemingly impressive from what I've, what I've heard the people that have seen them, and I'll see them myself tonight um, in the Champions League and then again on Sunday. So, I'll come back to them in that in a while, but I think Glasgow City are still the team to beat for now. Thank you very much, Campbell, for that. Um, hopefully we'll speak to you later on in the season. Yep, no problem at all, David. 
Um, I'm going to move on to another listener question. Um, Dees has got in touch and asked, are 19 or 20 players enough to get us through to Christmas and beyond? And how do the numbers stack with the 2012-13 promotion squad? So I did a little bit of digging earlier on today and just looked through the 12-13 promotion squad. We had 19 players play 10 games or more. So I'm just going to quickly run through the the core starting 11 first. So Fox played 20, appeared, appeared, sorry, I should say, in a 36-game season. Fox appeared 29 times, Balotoni 29, Muirhead 30, Taylor Sinclair 33, O'Donnell 28, Bannigan 33, Peyton 24, Erskine 34, Lawless 35 and Dillon 33. So we had a, a pretty consistent start in 11. There were a lot of players hitting 30 appearances. And then we had a further eight players who appeared um, more than 10 times. So it was like James Craig and Christy Elliott, Stephen Craig, Sean Welsh, Ross Forbes, Archie himself, um, Hugh Murray and uh, Mark McGuigan all played more than 10 times that season. So that was 19 players. Disa said, are 19 or 20 players enough to get us through to Christmas? I would say probably based on that, yes. But I'm going to come to you and ask, do you think we should be looking to add another one or two bodies? And Well, by the time this goes out, the transfer window will be shut. As we speak, there's just over 24 hours left. Jamie, do you want to see strengthen anywhere? Do you think there'll be anyone leaving the club? What, what do you see deadline day like it for Hill? Uh, ideally, I was hoping for a squad of maybe 22 or 23 at a push. But I think the squad we've got is enough to see us through. But if we were going to bring someone in, it would have been good to maybe get another defender, a winger and a striker if we were going to get that 23 squad that I mentioned. McCall did say in an interview he was hoping for, I think, two more, but realistically thinks he'll only get one. And that final addition is going to be a defender, which is out of the three positions I mentioned. It's definitely the area we need to cover in the most. Like you mentioned earlier, Matt, probably good to get a left-sided defender in because we've only got Holt in that area. Uh, McCall also mentioned about the loan market being open longer. So when we'll see that final addition, who knows? That all being said, though, our current, strong, current squad is very strong and we do have covering areas, be that a player on the bench or a player who can play at a position like Shea Gordon down on Saturday. I mean, it might not be ideal doing that, but it's definitely not a disaster either. Gordon proved on Saturdays he slotted in very well at right back. He'd obviously done that before, played right wing back towards the end of the 19-20 season, just before the shutdown. So we've got players who can cover in different positions. So this, if, if it is, we don't sign anyone else, it's not a disaster. The squad is very strong. It's made a good start. But it would be good to get one or two more bodies in, I would say. But I know it's not exactly a definitive answer, but it'd be good to get one or two more in. But if we don't, it's not a disaster. Reese. Yep, just exactly what Jamie's just said. Um, ideally, another left-back in. And like you said, McCall's mentioned the loan market's open for another month or so, I believe. Uh, so probably be some Celtic left back or something unknown. I would be surprised with that. But apart from that, as you've said, if we don't sign anyone for the first time in a long time, I'm more than happy to continue as we are. I think the squad's in a really good place right now. Even at the minute, we are depleted and we look good. Because the likes of Mills away, uh, uh, if he's got a knock, Stephen Bell's got a knock, Darren Brownlee's out long term. So our back line is very depleted at the minute and we still look really strong. Like You forget how how many injuries we've got to keep players. So if we are, if we are to go on, I'm more than happy to, to play with this team that we've got just now. I'm confident with our ability. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I, I wouldn't be too upset if if we didn't add. I think um, the the key to that is that we have players that are versatile, as as has been mentioned. But um, a left sided defender that could fill in for for Foster maybe some weeks and 
you know, injuries happen. The defences, we've got quite a, an old defence, so fitness could be an issue when we get to the midweek game. So, yeah, I, I would like to see a left-sided defender in, but not a disaster if we don't get it. I know we've been linked with uh, Aaron Muirhead. You can say if we are going to add someone. Like McCall mentioned, he wants it to be on our defender. That'll be likely the final addition. So, would I take Aaron Muirhead? If he's a squad player, yes. I wouldn't take him as probably our first choice. I'm, he's definitely not a bad player at this level. I mean, Air fans seem to say he was good for them last season. I haven't seen him play in a while, but he was good, obviously, for us last time we won this league. So, I would definitely take him as a squad player, but I wouldn't want him starting every week. He's only 30 and he can cover at fullback and he can also cover in midfield. So, if we were looking for a versatile player, he would be. He would definitely not be a horrendous signing, but apparently Air have not backed the interest or they've They've not wanted us to get him. I see why not wanting to ship someone out to a rival uh, team, but we'll have to wait and see if there's any more developments on that front. But I, I would take him as a squad player. As you might have heard in last week's episode, David was joined by Lindsay Hamilton of Glasgow Football Tours, and here is part two of that interview. I've been with a few of my cronies, one or two pals of mine. We went in a hotel, we did very well, and then we came out once again. And then we went into another. That is the reason I'm fool. We had six docking Dorises, then sang a chorus. Just listen, I'll sing it to you. I belong to Glasgow, dear old Glasgow town. Obviously, you mentioned about working at the Scottish Football Museum. Would you want to talk a little bit about the museum and what what you do there, and just generally what you've been up to? Yeah. Um. So, I mean, we've been shut up shop for well over a year now. Um. But um, basically, I have a bit of a dual role. So I'm the social media officer for the Scottish Football Museum, but also for Football Memories Scotland. And Football Memory Scotland is our uh, reminiscence programme. So we use old football images to trigger memory recall. Um, there's lots of clubs um, around Scotland who have their own reminiscence groups, their own memory groups. Um, it is targeted or, or geared towards sorry, people who are living with dementia and Alzheimer's um, disease. Um, but also it's for those who might have... Might, um, be socially isolated so they can get out uh, usually the groups meet they have a cup of tea biscuit or bovro and pies you know to try and make it football realistic um and uh, they just talk over old games and we'll look at old programs and old photographs and um try and spark um a memory so that's 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 the gist of the football memory scotland and i'm the social media officer for that um so uh, we also, this year, because we've been isolated, people in care homes in particularly couldn't get out and about, um, couldn't meet up with external groups because everybody was to stay inside. So we decided to launch a podcast, um, which is uh, done by my, my colleague Andy Kerr, um, called The Scottish Football Citizen. So you can find that, um, if you just type that into Google, it will come up, or you'll find it on the Football Memory Scotland Twitter, which is at football mem school, so football m e m s c o. Um, so you'll find it there, and we also um every week um 
put out a digital reminiscence newspaper, so a digital football reminiscence newspaper. So that's my task to do the newspaper every week. It's filled with a pictorial souvenir, so just lots of pictures, uh, photos of player, ex-players and old grounds and, um, you know, like objects, so maybe the Invicar or the, ra- the, the, you know, the rattles you sort of used to get at the games and things like that. Um, old advertisements, so for maybe old cigarettes or, or beer or football boots. There's there's loads of old like Mitre and um, Adidas um, advertisements and stuff that we, we pop in there. We do a spread about um, like a football ground of the week, a player of the week, a player focus on an ex-player, a look back at, at an old game. And um, again, it's all just geared towards triggering memory and also about just opening up conversation um, for people, um, again, who may be socially isolated. Uh, and it gives us all something to talk about, something to bring us together and um, sort of build up uh, an interaction. And um, so we've been doing that while we've not been able to go out and meet, go out to communities and, and host um, memory groups. We've had to go digital. So everybody's pivoting. We've, we've went digital and every week we put out a, reminiscence podcast again and they revisits lots of old games uh, some classic scottish football legends um and loads of stories just loads of storytelling again in the hope that we can spark um some memory and spark some conversation um and yeah so we've we've pivoted in that sense we've been at a few events now we've been in the museum we were in the museum once to host a, a virtual tour um of the stadium um we didn't put that out to the public it was just to like the care homes and the memories groups that we have registered or we have on an email list but it went very well it was very successful uh, very popular among people as well um might do it again at some point um before we open up we'll see but um yeah it's just lots of changing and try to go digital as best you can to make sure that people are still getting supported especially the football memory side of things and not leaving folk um, without any resources and things. Um, And it was great. It's been really great. And it it was really good with the Euros in the summer as well because we had specific Euro Legends cards. And um, during the tournament, actually, we had like a Euro Legends uh, tournament to find out uh, who the best Euro Legend was. And out of all of them, I've, I've I hope I've got this right, but I'm sure Dennis Law won. <laughs> and it was like George Best and uh, who else was in it? Um, oh, God, uh, Alfredo Di Stefano, uh, Johan Cruyff, <laughs> and one of the Scottish boys won. I was like, no bias there at all. Uh, I'm oh. sure it was Dennis Law that took the took the plaudits. But it's just fun, and it was just a chance again for um, folk online to see those images and, and again just sort of spark uh, memory and conversation in that. So... It was great. Um, so I that's that's my main role at the museum. Um, when I'm not tour guiding, um, but obviously my original role there was being a tour guide, and um, hopefully we'll get back to it soon. Um, but unfortunately we're not open yet, and we don't have an official date. I think the between the tournament and COVID, we're just lagging a little bit um behind to to reopen again. But um, hopefully very soon. Um we can get back to it because you're, you're spot on. There's such a love and appreciation for the, the Scottish Football Museum, to be honest. It's a great place to work. Um, people really, really, really enjoy it. Um, it's it's really old school, and I think football people in particular will like that. Um, it's always nice to modernise, but I think there's something quite um, 
I just I was gonna say traditional, but that's not the word that is. It's just old well, school. Where else are you gonna see a Sterling Albion kimono? hundred <laughs> percent. Okay, exactly. I know there's so many random things. Um actually my mum pointed out the other day that one of the Jimmy Johnson's Fabergé eggs was sold for ten grand or something. I was like, Do you know, we've got two of them in the museum. Uh I don't have the keys to those cupboards, but um we have got two we've got two of his, two of Jimmy Johnson's and one of George Best's um Faber's eggs and uh either just sitting there quite the thing. So I between kimonos and then Faber's eggs and everything in between, it's just mental. Um and I you've got the Scottish Cup and the, the Glasgow Charity Cup, which they're just stunning. The two of them are stunning, just really beautiful trophies. And um yeah, they're also changing the the, ex- the exhibition space at the back as well. It's been Kilmarnock for the longest time because they were celebrating their, their big birthday. Their Oh God, let me get this right there. 150th it must have been, because they're not that far behind Queen's Park. No, so I think in the Scottish Cup, the only two teams that are left now from that were Queen's Park and Kilmarnock. I think all the other ones are Yeah. no longer. I defunct or no with us anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I, they were 150th, uh, I think that was two years ago now, I had in the COVID year. So, um, yeah, we're changing the, the space around the game. So it's always, it's always fun for folk and... Aye, they always switch up, but there's 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 loads, and people still have a love for the the, the stadium tour in itself. It's a great tour, and the, the guides are fantastic. Out out with myself, I'm not big myself up, but the boys are brilliant, and um, yeah, it'll be great when we finally are all all back together. Big happy family, man. It's been a it's been a too long. Do you know what it is, man? It's buying into these things, and I, I always say that in, on the tour because I think especially the new, a new walking tour and. Folk have never heard of the Glasgow football team. You know, it's a totally new. I've only been going for two years. You know what I mean? So I think some folk turn up and go, "Is this? Is this the Glasgow football team?" You know, as if it's some, uh, <laughs> what's the word? Like some scheme or something like that. And I'm like, "Yes, this is us. We've been going for two years now." But it's understandable because it's this. It's a whole new business. Do you know what I mean? But I always say, folks, so there's always a wee bit of uh, a bit of maybe apprehension, not not knowing what they're walking into type thing. And I just sit, I'm like, look, just buy into it. Like, tell us your stories, volunteer. So we do this thing. Um, we name, uh, we've got our Magnificent Seven and our, our Fab Five. And um, it's just a sort of spark. Uh, no, sorry, um, what's the word? Um, plant, sorry, plant a seed um, to folk to go away and, and look these things up themselves. So our... Magnificent Seven are, are Scottish professors, and these are the guys who left Scotland to teach f- football to the world, to introduce football, the association rules, to the world. And sadly, a lot of these nations now have surpassed us at the game that we invented. Um, but this, the, the stories in themselves are great. So we'll say, right, can we get seven of these out? And, you know, folk kind of shuffle along and are like, oh, I don't know. And I'm like, look, just come out. Do you know what I mean? It'll be fun. And you'll just point at someone, you go, what's your name? You say, David. Like, right, David, you're Fergie Souter. You were born in Glasgow. You were the first Scotch professor imported in England where you started to show them how to play football properly. Um, And you became very famous with the Blackburn Olympic team who won the FA Cup for the North and finally took it off the public school boys. You taught them that their game was wrong and that your game was the way to play it. And then you move on, you go, right, what's your name? You're Lindsay. I'm like, okay, Lindsay, you're uh, Jimmy Hogan. You're the father of Hungarian football. 
you were born in England, but you wanted to bring the Scottish passing and moving style to replace this kick-and-rush game that the English played where they just hoofed it up and everybody charged on it like some American football S, like your quarterback up to your, what do you call them, linebackers or something like that? What do you call them again? Wide receivers, something like that. Um, wide receivers, that makes more sense in it than linebackers. <laughs> and um, I, you've watched the, professor, the Scottish professors at home, you admire them. And um, you create this golden team, and here's my party official, uh, my pun intended here. You create the mighty Magyars, the great Hungarian side of the 1950s. And um, it just plants this seed in folk kind of go. So obviously Jimmy Hogan's the exception. He's the, the Scottish professor that was born in England. But um, you've got Hugh McCall, who's buried in Kifkart Cemetery, who created Spain's oldest football club, Sevilla FC who have won a UEFA Cup here in Glasgow in 2007. And um, again, they were founded on Burns Night <laughs> in 1890, so that's the Scottish connection there. And as I said, he's, he's a Glasgow Glasgow fella, and he's he's buried here in the city, and not many folk know that at all. And um, there's seven of these guys, and it's, again, it's it just plants this seed um, to let folk know that you know, it, it wasn't invented. It wasn't invented in English. It's not an English invention. It's a Scottish one. And, um, yeah, it's important. And then we continue. So we, we get folk. That's usually around Kafkin Park. And uh, we tell folk these stories. And, again, it's just jaw-dropping. People just go, what? You know? Like, how has this happened? That Uruguay won uh, the first, what is it, two World Cups? I hope I've got that right now. And it's a fella called William Leslie Poole. Who's born in Kent, dad's from Edinburgh, and again it's the same thing. He's known as the father of Uruguayan football. So he sees these guys playing this passing and moving style like football, and well, that's so much easier than than focusing on the individual and the individual dribbling with the ball and trying to beat eleven men. When if I take the ball and I pass it him, and then he pass it him, then he, but you know we move up. It's efficient. It sounds obviously your bread and butter now. This is how this is how football was played, but back then. That wasn't the way of it, you know. England had this style of pass and rush. They had this... You look at the first international match, 30th of November 1872, and um, it, again, West of Scotland cricket ground, which again brings in Partick. Obviously, I sort of moved out of Partick a long time ago, but it brings that connection. I was going to mention this because um, obviously, like, Party Fistle don't play in Partick anymore and haven't for well over 100 years or whatever, but I remember him again... Probably about 2019, um, 20, maybe 2018, 2019, or whatever. I, my friend was playing a gig in the West of Scotland Cricket Club, and I knew that that was where the first you know, international football game had taken place between Scotland and England. And I'd never been, so I was like, oh, I'll go. Um, you know, my friend's playing a gig there, and I get to go to this place. And I remember being quite a few drinks deep, and then just turning around and looking at the bar, and there's a big plaque behind it of um it's called uh, an honorary jag spot of like uh, uh, like spots like in Partick or, or wherever that had been like designated by Partick Thistle as like a significant um cultural uh, part of you know um Thistle history and of Partick football history. And I was just I was I was a bit too drunk at the time to kinda of comprehend it. I was kinda of like why why is this? And then it kinda of all clicked in and it re- it sent me down on a rabbit hole of trying to find where are all these other jag spots? Like it was because it was like it was like a plaque from like 
the nineties because it was the old Fissel logo and it was it was it was quite old. And um, but it, it kind of I, I've still not found the other ones. Uh, so I'm I'm going to put the call out just now. If anyone knows where any of these other Jag spots are, that um, I, I would love to know because I seen this in, in West Scotland Cricket Club and was really in, intrigued by it. And yeah, I think there's. It's strange, but I think Party Fissel fans forget we played in Partick, and it's yeah. Party has such a great football history as well that we shouldn't forget it. Yeah, it was five grounds, I think, in twenty-one years or something like that. Yeah, um, yeah. Over Newton Park, or oh, Jordan Vale, Muir Park, interview. Yeah. It was the last one there. Meadowside, I think. Yeah, Meadowside. Before, before that was it. There was happened. one that was kind of a bit out. That I can't remember which one it was, but there was one that was quite a bit out. But yeah, they were kind of all dotted around Partick, and um, again, like I don't know how you you probably say how many Fiscal fans have actually been to Partick. Um, do you know what I mean? Like, because if like, I don't, I don't live in Partick. Like my, my family used to when I was younger, but I didn't. But um, there'll be Partick Fiscal fans out there who have never been to Partick, which seems a yeah. bit strange when it's in the name, but. Yeah, there's a, there's a great footballing history there, and yeah, and there's a great history of Partick in, in its own. And oh, I think definitely. Sometimes forget about it. It hosted the first international football game in the world. Mm-hmm. Queens Park invented the international fixture. Scotland invented it. Crazy, but yeah. funny. Just when you said Meadowside, there you've just a story's just came into my head, and I always tell this on tour. So Meadowside um, is so the, the the actual ground. There's a there's a blocky flats that run along the River Clyde. They're quite they're quite swish actually, they're quite mm-hmm. modern. Um called I think Harbour Terrace is the name. Mm-hmm. So it's between where the new transport museum is and the new flats. That's that's yeah. roughly where Meadowside would have been, right on the Clyde. And uh, there's this great story about um obviously you didn't have like a full bag of balls back in back in the eighteen ninety seven back in the late 1890s. Um, so you'd maybe have one or two footballs, you know, for a, for one ninety minute game. And what Thistle used to do was they used to hire um boaters to go along the side of the Clyde in case the ball went into the water. That was that was the the ball boy <laughs> was um <laughs> guys out on boats just on the off chance that the the ball went into the Clyde. I always thought that was dead funny. Um, and very unique, I must say. I can't think any many other people that, uh, places that would would have to do that. Maybe maybe a Notts County or something. And what's their rivals across the river? That's terrible. Notts County. Oh, and, your forest. Uh, aye, God, Nottingham Forest. Sorry, aye, that's it. God, that's terrible. There. It I, really shows that you are a football historian, isn't it? That you've counted before Notts and not your forest. I know. Trust me, to pick out the one that hasn't won the European Cup. <laughs> Oh, so Lindsay, do you want to tell us about the the upcoming tours that you've got, and you know, just give yourself a wee bit of a plug? Yeah, so um, we've got uh the one in the twenty eighth is sold out, which we're delighted with, and then in September we've got two dates, and September will be the last month for the last one for the season. Um, so we've got the eleventh of September, and there's only six spaces still available in that. So if you want to get in, get in rapid. And uh, we've got the 25th of September as well. So two Saturday dates at half 10 um, to half 12, which is nice. It's a nice um, start, especially if you're heading to the football in the afternoon, because I should have said this is a big selling point as well. You can have a beer in the first Hamden Park as well, so you can get a pint in the Hamden Bowling Club. Um, so what a lovely warm-up. If this were playing either one of those Saturdays, I've not checked the calendar, but 
Um, you can oh, you're come stuffed to the eleventh. That's uh, it's Inverness away. So. <laughs> oh well, okay, okay, stuff them. But maybe for the twenty fifth, then you can yeah. do your morning tour, a wee pint about back at twelve, um, one o'clock at the first Hamden Park, and then get yourself along to Fur Hill. Why not? Why not? Uh, it's a good way to go about it, and that's the last two, um, for the season. Um, but yeah. Uh, that would be great to have to have folk along. Um, they're they're really popular. Uh, they have been really popular, which is a blessing. Really, really pleased with it. Dog friendly as well, so you can bring your canine companion if you wish. Um, we're running with a, a <laughs> two two yellows and a red rule. Um, so it's kind of like in the pub, you know, you get like free barks and you're out. I've seen that in a few places. So I thought, well, if the if the dogs causing three big disturbances, then. We'll politely ask you to leave, but I don't expect it. I think it'll be absolutely fine. You'll know yourself if your dog's able to manage that. Um, you know, crowds and potentially other dogs. Case, so, Aye, um, I'm, mate, I'm the same. Like I, I said to Graham, he's like, "Oh, how do you want to bring Graham? Uh, do you want to bring sorry Elvis into on that?" And I was like, "Mate, no." Elvis has been all over. He's a star. He's been all. I know, over. I know. He's good at the juniors and that, but I feel like, like with people, absolutely fine. Just dogs. He just wants to play, so I want to get a chance to tell my stories when he's wanting to dive about the place. Do you know what I mean? So it definitely wouldn't work for me. But um, you know yourself if you get a nice, you know, calm, totally like placid probably dog. If you can bring it along, then you absolutely can. Um, and don't miss out. Honestly, like I feel like there's probably stories I've already said that folk are like that's amazing or that's really good or whatever and um, honestly like your jaw drop You've, Graham's as I said Graham's first 45 minute to an hour but it's just like mental like honestly it's phenomenal and uh, I I would highly recommend to, to book a slot get involved it's great you'll, you'll thoroughly enjoy it good stuff and uh, do you want to give yourself a plug on social media as well yeah, so if you want to find us, um, we're on Instagram and Facebook at Glasgow Football Tour. And uh, I should have said as well, the website, so that you can go and, and book, um, is www.glasgowfootballtour.com. So yeah, thank you very much, uh, Lindsay. It's been great to chat to yourself. Um, and yeah, hopefully we'll see some Jags fans down at the tours and speak to you sometime soon. But there's something the matter with Glasgow For it's going round and round I'm only a common old working lad As anyone can see But when I get a couple of drinks on a Saturday Glasgow belongs to me David, one for you. Um, Jamie Fleming's got in touch with a question. He's asked, that being the last game of August, what players should be in contention of winning the club's player of the month award? So I think the club normally put a poll out with the four players. What four players would you throw in there? Um, I think I'd probably say Turner would definitely be in there. I think just the the revolution he's been on set pieces and everything he's done uh, in his appearances, I think he's definitely in for a nomination. Barrigan is always floating about in these sort of things and maybe and maybe see he would be involved. I think Brian Graham though has done very well. I think he's um, he's had the ball in I think three of the four games have been in the net. He's just a perennial threat. And I think maybe I would go as well with um Holt as well. I think Holt I think we're all a bit 
ambivalent as to how we thought he would do, but he's been very, very good, especially linking up with Turner on the corners. I mean, he's had two goals in the space of a month as a centre-back. He's he's really excelled, and I think he's done really well. So I'd say, yeah, Turner, Holt, Banzo and Graham would be my four. Yeah, I don't disagree with anything you've said. I think, uh, as you said, Turner's delivery has been so key for his Bannigan. He was outstanding at Dunfermline, I think, for that performance alone. I chucked him in. Holt's really impressed in the the away win at Dunfermline and on Saturday there against Morton, so he'd be in for me. I think the only change I would make, I'd maybe swap Brian Graham out. I'm not saying he's not been good. He has been. He's always very good. I think I would chuck Ross Dockett in, and it's maybe just because of how much we missed him or both, as, as much as how well he's played. Just it's sometimes you don't appreciate what you've got until it's not there anymore. And I think that was maybe the case with Dockery up at Arbroath. And when he came in on on Saturday at home, he, he strolled it next to Banning in the midfield. So we agree on three out of the four and Graham, Dockery, 50-50 up for debate. But yeah, a good month for a lot of individuals, I think. We'll move on to Partridge Thistle now. Um, as you know, Brexit has led to a few food shortages. You know, we've seen chicken. Um, we've run out of chicken in some establishments. We've run out of some other foods in some establishments. So I'm going to come around and ask you all, if you had to pick something that there will be a national shortage for, and it doesn't have to be food, what do you want to see the UK struggle to import and sell? What do you want rid of? David, I'll come to you first. No, as I've in my 30s, I used to be very opinionated in things I didn't like and I've mellowed out and um, I've kind of become wiser and, you know, I've, I, I'm not so hateful towards these things anymore. However, uh, Mrs Brown's boys announced national shortage immediately. It's, it's, it's terrible. I hate it. And yeah, I, I don't know. Mrs Brown's boys, just get it, get it, get it away now. So it's a strong, strong start to, to this segment. Well, I've had some weak answers in recent weeks, I think, but uh, that, that was a great shout, David, uh, in the bin for Mrs Brown's voice. To, to give you an example of um, how bad Mrs Brown's voice is, my dad doesn't watch any modern comedy. He doesn't think any of it is funny, um, but he's into his old-fashioned comedy that sort of meant they're like he's a target audience for mrs brown's boys and he despises it possibly even more than i do so um i definitely get it in the bed i would say a national shortage of cricket bats the whole sport needs binned off mate it needs abolished i, I personally don't know anybody that likes cricket who watches cricket and there's probably will end up being a few official fans that are big cricket fans and they'll be all over this but that whole sport can can go away for as far as I'm concerned. I'm, I'm glad you said that, Reese, because I think we do need to address the worrying uh, number, growing number of Thistle fans to out themselves as cricket fans on Twitter in the last week or so. Um, I don't know if it's like the impact of the 100. I know there have been a few high-calibre test matches going on that I've seen advertised in Sky, but no, I'm with you, Reese. It's a, a disgraceful sport. And uh, you'd like to see that, that enthusiasm stamped out, especially amongst our own support. Jamie, you've had time to think. What what are you calling for a shortage of? <laughs> any recent uh, this is just gonna be shite, so I used Doctor Who as an answer a couple of weeks ago, but uh, any recent series, DVD or streaming service of any recent series of Doctor Who I wanna get rid of all of them. It's just too bad to watch. I'll I'll specify I'll I'll go one one deeper than that, Jamie. I'll just go for a national Chris Chibnall shortage. I think that, that would solve 
basically all the problems. So a national Chris Chibnall shortage, please. As always, thank you for joining us on Draw, Lose or Draw. We'll be back next week to look back on, hopefully, progression in the Challenge Cup and ahead to our trip to Inverness, which will looking like it could be an important one with the top two in the Championship going head-to-head. Thanks to my guests, Rhys Aldane, David Forrest and Jamie MacDonald. As always, stay safe and buy a season ticket. <laughs>